Could Oregon football really be adding another defensive lineman in the transfer portal? Could they really add another one? Apparently, they could. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view if you're watching on YouTube every day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks every single weekday. Like, comment, subscribe, wherever you're listening to or watching the show. Appreciate all of that. And I have to be honest, because I'm always honest with you, Duck fans, here, here on Locked on Ducks. Always, every day. Said it on the first episode I hosted the show, and it continues to be true. I will never BS you on here. But here is, um, here's how I'm feeling with this. I can't imagine that Oregon football could possibly bring in another transfer because they've already added a handful this offseason. I'm not talking about transfer at any position, just on the interior defensive line. I could see exterior defensive line happening, right? Edge players, because we're a little bit light in that department. That's why we're looking at players in the class of 2023, like Jaden Wayne, like Mateo Uyunglele, and those sorts of players you know, who, who are kind of fitting in that Kayvon Thibodeau mold. I understand that. But the interior of the defensive line appears to be set. And when we added Casey Rogers, I thought, okay, I don't think he's going to play a ton. But you never know if there are injuries or maybe he, you know, pops in fall camp and rockets his way up the depth chart. You never know. I saw the other day that Oregon is going to have an official visit with Jermaine Lowell who is a defensive tackle who missed the 2021 season, but he has been very productive in his time with Arizona State. And I will be so shocked if if this happens. And the reason that I'm talking about it, even though I don't expect it to, is because I've been wrong before. I will be wrong again. And this apparently has some legs to it because only four schools are getting an official visit and there's Louisville, Florida, and one other in there that, that I'm forgetting. But I I will just be absolutely dumbfounded if, if this happens. It would be a great addition. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> He's a really, really good player. But need I remind you Oregon's interior of the defensive line as it stands right now? Brandon Dorless, Popo Almavai. Then the transfers they've added, and you've got Sam Taimani. You've got Jordan Riley, and you've got Casey Rogers, and then Keon Ware Hudson is in the mix as well. Now, Christian Williams left via the transfer portal, but that's the only significant departure that this group has seen this offseason. And this guy, Jermaine Lowell, is not just a good player. He's a great player in the Pac-12. An NFL-caliber player is, is kind of what I've been able to discern looking him up and looking at his production, his size as well. He is a former preseason first-team All-Pac-12 nominee in 2021 before he got hurt with a triceps injury. He was named to the Outland Award watch list, which is given to uh, a top player on the defensive line. I mean, going into 2021, Pro Football Focus had him graded as the number two interior defensive lineman in the country, not in the Pac-12, in the entire country, the only guy ahead of him was Ohio State's Haskell Garrett. 
And, and in 2020, PFF had him graded as the highest, the, the highest graded interior defensive lineman in the Pac-12. So that's sort of player that Jermaine Lowell is. Not, you know, someone who has the potential to be that, who didn't play a lot at his previous school and is looking for a, a bigger role and such. He is an established player who has one year of eligibility remaining, I believe. And so to try and boost his NFL draft stock after coming off of an injury, he's thinking about going elsewhere. Now, he might return to Arizona State. From what I have, have read from people who, who are covering the situation, he wants to go back to Arizona State, but he wants to test the test the waters as well. But, you know, I, I, I had the thought as well, like maybe he's going to switch to play defensive end. And that's how Oregon could look at it. Because how could you possibly bring in all these guys this offseason, you know, Taimani and, and Riley and Casey Rogers as well, in addition to the players that we've already got on the interior of the defensive front? But he's not going to switch. Jermaine Lowell is 6'2", 305 pounds. His M.O. is as a big-body defensive tackle who is more than capable of getting after the quarterback. But somebody who's 300 pounds is not going to play defensive end, right? You could maybe line him up there every now and then like Dorless did a season ago. But primarily, he's going to play between the tackles. So I, I just don't know how he would possibly fit in. Now, if Oregon were to get him, he'd probably be he'd probably replace Popo Almavai as the starter next to Brandon Dorless. And then suddenly your backup defensive tackles would be two of the five highest graded interior defensive linemen from the 2021 season, Sam Taimani, Popo Almavai. So that would be pretty incredible. And I would be stoked if Oregon got him because I think he's a really good player, an NFL caliber player. And anytime you can add a guy like that, you absolutely should. But I will just put it on the record here. I will be so surprised if this happens. It would be a pleasant surprise. It would be a welcome one. But I just don't know why a guy who's coming off of an injury, who has NFL aspirations and is capable of going to the NFL, coming off of an injury needs to show that he can produce for a full season. Well, to do that, you'd think you would go to a place where you're going to be a guaranteed starter, or at least you're not going to have a highly competitive and talented room. There are a number of other schools in the Pac-12 where he could go and be a starter and not perhaps get lost in the shuffle. Now, the other side of that coin is when you go to a new team and you're surrounded by good players on uh, in your position group, sometimes it can help you. And that's true on the defensive line, certainly, because if Brandon Dorless is going to attract the most double teams this year for the Oregon defensive line, then maybe that would free up Jermaine Lowell a little bit. It's it's certainly possible, and he'd be able to be you know pretty fresh when he does play because of the depth Oregon has there, so they could rotate guys in and out. Now, that might limit his overall statistical upside for 2022, but it does increase the potential that the snaps that he does put on tape are going to be a high quality because he's not tired, because he's not the only guy that Oregon has that's capable of playing in a high-leverage, high-stress situation. So I guess that's the upside there, but I, I will I will be so very pleasantly surprised if Oregon is able to get him. There's one way where they could get him. The one way that, that Oregon could, could get Jermaine Lowell from Arizona State. According to Sun Devil source, 
which is you know from 24-7 Sports. He's testing the quote-unquote free agent market. He, he wants to return to ASU, but he's just kind of weighing his options right now to see what is available. But one of the reasons he apparently is you know exploring his options out there is he's expected to garner some pretty significant NIL offers from, from collectives. Uh, the, the report said, quote, Lowell is expected to garner offers in excess of $100,000 by NIL collectives representing other college programs, and he will evaluate such opportunities to people close to the development, told Sun Devil Source. Now, Oregon has been very clear that they're embracing the NIL stuff, and they have, you know, the, the resource on, on campus. I forget what the name is. You can drop it in the YouTube comments below. But they have been very open about embracing this sort of thing, which is a good thing for the Ducks because if you're not keeping up with the times, you're falling behind. If you're not improving, you're getting worse. And Oregon, I think, is doing a good job of understanding that it's a part of college football now and you have to be able to make these sorts of pitches. As far as NIL opportunities are concerned, you look at the other schools that that Jermaine Lowell is considering, right? He's going to take an official visit to Florida and, and to Louisville. Oregon can go toe-to-toe, or I would argue probably even be above what those schools could offer in terms of NIL opportunities because we've got Nike behind us, right? So th- that's certainly a, a big draw for athletes who are putting out there that NIL is going to be a significant part of, of the recruitment process here as a guy in the transfer portal. And so I, I just think that you know when he visits the Ducks in June, Maybe that'll be the thing that puts him over the edge, right? Maybe he's considering it 70% football and 30% NIL. I have no idea. But that's the way that Oregon could potentially get this guy because from a, a, from a football standpoint, not that you wouldn't want to play for a great defensive coordinator who just won a national championship like Dan Lanning, but just from a roster standpoint, I, I, I think that that just doesn't make the most sense for him in terms of maximizing his opportunities, but it it would be a great guy for Oregon to get. It really would because I I don't know how good they're going to be this year at creating pressure. And you know, the, the edge spot, DJ Johnson, he's going to have to step up in a big way or a Braden Swinson, or, you know, uh, there are a number of players who, you know, are going to have an opportunity to fill the void left by Kayvon Thibodeau. Right. But you don't get, a lot of quarterback pressure, or at least a lot of quarterback sacks typically from your interior defensive lineman tends to come from guys off the edge. Just it's just how it all shapes out, you know, with how a quarterback steps up in the pocket and such. But in three years with ASU and he missed 2021 with a triceps injury, he played in 28 games. He had 122 tackles, 11 sacks in 28 games. That is a really good rate for a defensive lineman and 20 tackles for loss. Kind of gives me Jordan Scott vibes. You know, Jordan was, I think, 335 pounds when he came to Oregon. The mini fridge was an absolute beast in stopping the run. And again, didn't always put up the statistical numbers that popped off the page the way that a Kayvon Thibodeau does. But that's kind of the nature of interior defensive linemen is a lot of their stuff is, you know, going to be revealed in in terms of their overall value and production when you look at something like uh, a grade from somewhere like PFF, you know, rather than looking at how many stats they have. But Jermaine Lowell doesn't just grade well. He also has the production, and that's what makes him such an intriguing player. And, <laughs> you know, I, I just can't wrap my mind around the idea that, that he would come to Oregon unless NIL 
is going to push him over the top in that direction. And that's a bigger consideration than, than we know about. And, you know, if the report is out there that that's something that he's weighing as he looks around in, in the transfer portal and such and has these official visits in schools while still also considering Arizona State, then we know it's going to be a factor, but we don't know how much. From a football standpoint, I don't know if I see it, but from an NIL standpoint, eh, Oregon's pretty darn good at that sort of stuff. So we'll, we'll see how that all plays out. Uh, the official visit is in June, so his recruitment won't finish up for a month, but wanted to make you all aware of that so that you can uh, follow along with, with the latest and breaking news, which is why, by the way, you should like and subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show right now if you haven't already. I appreciate all of you that have, and we switch gears to talk about basketball now. So yesterday I kind of did a, a broad assessment of Dan Lanning and the staff so far about, you know, how they've handled, handled the transfer portal and, you know, the way that they're using it. And I, I think there's a few more guys in there this year than we'll see in the coming years because you had the coaching change and such. But let's take a look over at, at basketball now. And Dana Altman's use of the transfer portal, very, very different. And the portal, I think, is very different in, in basketball than it is in football because in football, you're used to having more continuity on your rosters because players are required to stay for three years. But I think the transfer portal is having a bigger impact on football for that reason rather than college basketball in terms of how coaches have to approach their teams on a year-by-year -year basis because in college basketball, every coach in the country at a major program has been dealing with guys who are not with their school for more than a season for a very long time. The, the one and done has been around for quite a while. So that whole mindset, it's slightly different, you know, when you can go grab some somebody from another team and have them not have to sit out a year, of course. But just, you know, philosophically, the approach of having to, to reassess your roster in such a significant way on a year-to-year -year basis, I mean, you need look no further than Oregon basketball. Each starting five over the last several years has only had one constant. That's Will Richardson, right? Everybody else has, you know, kind of come and gone. And Folly Dante, when he's healthy, has been there. But that's really been it. Everything else has had a lot of change, whereas in football, there's a lot more, you know, uh, continuity and consistency there. So, I mean, I mean just think about USC football. Right. I think a lot of people are seeing them more as a reboot than a rebuild because of the transfer portal. But that's kind of always been the case in college basketball, because you can get a recruiting class that, you know, is more ready to contribute immediately than a freshman recruiting class in football that usually need a year or two in the weight room to reach their full potential. And just dealing with all of that roster turnover is much more common in college basketball than, than it is in college football. But now it's starting to become a little bit more of uh, of the norm in, in the college football space. So, yeah, there's always been more movement in basketball in that sense. And so I think coaches are, you know, fully ready to, you know, incorporate the transfer portal into how they how they approach their rosters in, in a given season. But let's take a look at, at some of the, the best transfers and some of the worst transfers that, that Oregon's had over the years because Dane Altman's record in the transfer portal it is really, really interesting. Uh, he didn't use it a lot over the first few years. It, he really didn't. But then as time has gone on and you look at the last five or six years or so, um, you know, he, he's been there for, for 12 seasons in Eugene with the Ducks. And he's had a lot of success, as we know, 20 or more wins every single year, which is pretty, 
it's a it's a pretty remarkable feat. It is a it is a pretty remarkable feat what Dane Altman has been able to do. But he didn't use the transfer portal a whole lot early on in his tenure. And nowadays, you know, that's almost an expectation. I think more so in college football than in college basketball. But it's an expectation still because of the one time freebie in the transfer portal that you're going to come in as a new head coach at a program. And you're going to hit the portal pretty hard in order to, you know, revamp your roster as quickly as you can and trying to get some positive momentum moving. Whereas, you know, you're probably coming into a situation where the program is trending down. It's a good way to quickly change your roster around and get it moving back in in the upward direction. You can bring in a lot of good players. And Oregon has brought in some great players over the years and some who they didn't didn't quite pan out the way that we thought that we thought. I'll tell you who they are after I tell you that our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. You can find all the latest odds, news and developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, go Mariners, fights and even next season's NLF futures or NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. Let's start with the uh, the least successful transfers, right? That's how I always approach something like that. I want the bad news first, get it out of the way, end with the good news. Have that be the last thing you remember. So, over the years, there have been a, a bevy of transfers to Oregon basketball. Some have worked out and some have not. Among those who were on the disappointment side, and, and real quick, my scale here for what I'm considering to be a success is, you know, were they productive or were they good players? And just kind of the names that stick out, that one's easy. But the ones that I'm seeing as the biggest disappointments were production compared to their expectation when they came to the Ducks. So first guy on the list, this is in no particular order. These are just kind of grouped. And I know there are plenty of transfers that that, that I'll leave out, but I'm just kind of hitting what, what I see as the bottom end and the top end. Feel free to hop in the YouTube comments and let me know if you feel differently. But Shakir Justin came over from UNLV and, you know, he was never a major disappointment, I would say. But he averaged about eight points, six boards, a half block a game. And this was in that 2019-20 team uh, that unfortunately didn't get to go to the NCAA tournament, but would have been, uh, I think they were looking at like a four or five seed or so. Uh, that was that was looking to be a good team with with Peyton Pritchard going absolutely bonkers. They had Duarte and uh, Anthony Mathis as well. And Folly Dante was there. That was, that was a good team. Uh, and Justin was supposed to be kind of the starting power forward and maybe the the third best scorer on the team but he really wasn't you know he, he averaged double digit scoring in his previous two seasons at, at UNLV but he just was never able to carve out the role I, I think that that we expected he was going to when when he announced his transfer to the Ducks so that's a guy you know just just never really reached his full potential and came over with you know plenty of excitement and then it was kind of like eh, okay he, he's okay um, speaking of, uh, transfers from UNLV, Amari Hardy, I, I, I don't know exactly what, what happened in terms of the practice reports. I wasn't covering the team as closely back then as I do now, but he, he averaged in the, the previous two seasons before coming to Oregon at UNLV, 13 and a half points a game with, with, with the run and rebels. And he came to the ducks. And then in the 2020, 2021 season, 
that's the team that he was on, and he just wasn't cracking the line. And he was supposed to, but he just didn't. It, you know, it, it did not work out the way that 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 it was supposed to. Uh, maybe we just need to avoid guys from UNLV. <laughs> I mean, really, that uh, that's that's clearly the trend. That's a joke, of course, because every player is different. You never know when they're going to pop it and when they won't. Uh, going back a ways. This is a name that most of you probably won't know, which is kind of making my point in terms of disappointing transfers. Waverly Austin, in the class of 2012, came to the Ducks from the Juco ranks and was one of the top players, at least from his rating that Oregon brought in that year, never averaged more than four points a game. And he just never, he never panned out. Tony Woods, this was way back in the early, early days. Yeah, I went all the way back, everybody. Excuse me, way, way back. Tony Woods transferred from Wake Forest. He was a highly rated four-star center coming out of high school. He didn't produce a lot over in Wake Forest. He did actually increase his statistical production with the Ducks, but it was never, I, I think, what we expected him to be. He was a good shot blocker, but he didn't score a lot, and he wasn't a great rebounder for someone of his size either, and I don't think he did either of those things the way that, that he was capable of. So, you know, it, it's there, there have been misses. You know, that that's why I'm bringing this up today is the transfer portal is here, not going anywhere, going to be a part of both the football and basketball rosters. And, and with all these guys, you have to understand that much like with high school recruits, some of, their go, some of them are going to hit and some of them are not going to, right? And you might hear that list and go, boy, that's a lot of guys that Dane Altman is, you know, not, not incorporated very well. And Davion Harmon is only here for a year. And Jacob Young came over and yeah, they were productive, but we didn't win very much it, have there been any good transfers? I'm here to tell you that that there have been. Going back uh, a ways in that same era of uh, when Tony Woods was there, DeVoe Joseph, for those of you hardcore basketball fans, you know that name. He was tremendous, absolutely tremendous. And he averaged, uh, he came over from Minnesota. He played there for three seasons. And that's the benefit of adding transfers sometimes, right, is they know how to produce at the Power 5 level. They know what their games are. And it's just a lateral move, right? It's not a place where they're going and they're expecting to you know, get this unbelievable level of coaching where they can, you know, finally pop and reach their full potential. He was good, and then he did pop under Dana Altman, you know. And so he averaged 17 points a game, about three and a half assists, shot at 47% from the floor and 42% from beyond the arc. I think that's easily one of the top transfers Dana Altman has ever brought in. This, again, is in no particular order, but Eugene Omaruyi from Rutgers and Chris Duarte, who came from the JUCO level, Boy, were those two good Oregon basketball players who were transfers. I know that some people, sometimes people get uneasy, but this is why I'm bringing you to the other side. Sometimes guys come in and they become really good players, right? I mean, you think Oregon basketball the last few years, you think Chris Duarte, who ended up being a top 15 pick, looks like a really, really good looking player for the Indiana Pacers. And just because he didn't play for the Ducks for three or four years, and it was just two because he played his first two as a junior college player, doesn't mean you can't grow that sort of affinity that we love in college sports with certain players, right? And, you know, Eugene Omaruya, he was really, really good. Uh, I, I think he had to sit out a year after transferring from Rutgers because they didn't have the freebie rule back then, but he was tremendous, averaging 17 points a game, which was a, a career high. Honorable mention, by the way, on that same team that got to the Sweet 16, LJ Figueroa, he was a really, I just, I loved everything about his game. Just, prototypical three and D guy 
every team needs an LJ Figueroa. Kind of, I think LJ Figueroa is like a better version of what Eric Williams was during his career, who was also a transfer, by the way, from Duquesne. And he also had a rock solid career for the Ducks. I would love for Oregon basketball to just be littered with guys like LJ Figueroa and, and Eric Williams. They're not going to demand the ball. They're going to hit open shots when they come. They will throw down some big time dunks. They'll play defense. They're big bodies. I, I really like both of those guys who. Uh, who contributed majorly during their careers at Oregon. Uh, final two transfers that I'll, I'll highlight here that have been among the best for Dane Altman. Again, if you think I missed one, hop in the comments below, let me know. But, you know, uh, DeVoe Joseph, Eugenio Marie, Chris Duarte, a little bit of LJ Figueroa in there too. Hard to forget about these two guys who were both a part of, the one was not the way that we were hoping, uh, both a part of that final four run. Dylan Ennis talked about him recently because I think that Jermaine Kuznard provides a lot of similarities for, for, for duck fans to see there between Dylan Ennis. They had similar stats. They have similar games. They even shoot kind of similar move kind of similar. Like there's a lot of similarities there. The other one, and I know this will be a little bit of PTSD for duck fans, but Chris Boucher was a Juco transfer as well. And my goodness, did he ever blossom? And yes, I, Every time I hear his name, every time I watch him play on the Raptors, where he is a fantastic NBA player and a productive NBA player, I always think, what if we had him against North Carolina? I always think it every single time. I know it's painful, but got to bring him up because he's easily one of the best transfers Dane Altman has brought in. So as we become more familiar and comfortable with these transfers coming in, I go through this rundown to just remind you all. There are going to be hits. There are going to be misses. And there will be plenty of guys in between. I think Jacob Young and Davion Harmon are somewhere in the in-between camp. This is not every transfer Dana Altman's ever brought in. These are just the guys, I think, who are at the, the very top and at the very bottom of that spectrum. And that's the sort of variance that, that we should always expect to see. And, you know, I just, man, Boucher, I just... I always think about it. It's one of, one of the biggest what ifs. There are a million what if, not literally, of course, but there are a lot of what ifs in Oregon sports. If Chris Boucher's knee was healthy, that that is that is certainly one of them. Thanks for making this your first listen. If you want to get some more content from me, check me out on a Locked On Pack Twelve, free and available wherever you get your podcasts. For your next listen of the day, it's on YouTube as well. I appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.